0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Samuel chapter 24. It is the Word of God that is eternally true. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Why are you pursuing a dead dog, a single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Okay, so chapters 24, 25, and 26 of of 1 Samuel hang together. They are more or less three trials that David goes through, and uh, where opponents come against him, and he's given the opportunity uh, by God to respond. In a particular way. And so 24, 25 and 26. 24 and 26 is is David dealing with King Saul. And then 25 is David and, and Nabal. And so if we take this in three sections. Chapter 24 and three sections. We come to the first seven verses as the first section. Notice that Saul... Remember in the pa- in the previous chapter, Saul was called away. he was pursuing David, and then all of a sudden, at the end, the Philistines rise up against Israel, and so Saul is called away, and David is saved in that situation by god 's providence. Now Saul quickly returns back to um, pursuing david' it 's as if saul didn 't even take a breath after he took care of the problem with the Philistines um, there's you know no acknowledgement of a time lapse here. Um, But it just goes right into it. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So um, Saul takes along 3,000 men. The last we read of in Scripture is David has 600 men. So he's taking along forces that are five times the size of what David has, um, five five times the uh, force that David has around him. Uh, They come to the sheepfolds on the way and there was a cave and Saul went in, literally uh, the the Hebrew here is to cover his feet. Which obviously is a euphemism for to defecate. He's going in the the cave to, um, I mean it's been sanitized here, but literally the Hebrew is to cover his feet. And um, talk about the providence of God. Right. He's going in to relieve himself in a cave and it just so happens to be the cave where David and his men are further into the cave um, waiting and hiding from Saul. And Saul shows up there. Um, What do David's men say to him? David's men say, behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as seems good to you. Now, it seems like they're quoting a prophecy, but we don't have anything in scripture that. That's that, you know, um, clarifies whether it's a specific prophecy that they're quoting to him or whether they're just saying this is the moment. Um, Go for David. And so we don't have anything recorded that a specific prophet told David that um, this was going to happen. And so they're telling but but nonetheless, they're telling him this is this is your day. This is what you've been waiting for. David, go in and take Saul. You can kill him and the kingdom will be yours. And so they're telling him that. And what does David do? David arises and perhaps he went thinking, okay, they're right. And he pursues Saul and he gets to Saul. And what he does is he cuts off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Somehow he was able to do that without, without Saul noticing. And, and then he goes back and immediately after that, look at verse 5. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. His conscience bothered him. Now, why was it that his conscience bothered him? It seems like a rather insignificant thing that he did, cutting off the edge of somebody's clothing, cutting off the edge of somebody's robe. But the fact of the matter is is that's not an insignificant thing. It's a very symbolic act. Right? The tearing of garments was, is always in the Old Testament a sign of, of um, being undone or of the changing of one king to another, right? or the, the taking of robes and giving them to somebody else. Um, here, David is essentially saying the kingdom is mine by, by tearing the garments of King Saul. Right, and so that's why his conscience bothered him. It's not that he just, he messed up a piece of clothing, right? It's that he went to, he went to Saul and symbolically, without killing him, killed him, right? He symbolically said the kingdom is mine by tearing Saul's garments here. So that's why, that's why there's this, this heavy weight on the conscience of King David, um, He's, he has indeed, in a sense, followed the advice of the men who are around him. Immediately afterward, David's conscience bothered him. And if we know anything about King David, one of, the, one of the things we know about him is he had a very soft conscience. And that's a gift from the Lord. That's the work of the Spirit, right? To have a soft conscience, that when you sin, to feel the weight of it and immediately repent. When Nathan goes to him, he he immediately when Nathan the prophet confronts him when he commits uh, murder and and uh, adultery he immediately acknowledges that he did that sin and sinned against the Lord. Now here's a question. Um, think about the the voice of these men. Think about the voice of these men and the time period between when his men spoke to him and when David arose and cut off the edge of of Saul's robe. What David has to do is figure out whether or not what they're saying is a temptation or a prophecy. He has to figure out whether or not it is the Lord or it is the evil one. Right? Is, Is he being led by the Lord to kill Saul or is he being tempted by his men to kill Saul? And... And often situations are like that, right? We something happens, and and without the um, without time, without a time period showing us whether it was the Lord or whether it was temptation, it's very hard to know at times. Um, think of think of receiving. Think of uh, a relationship. Think of a relationship that the Lord gives to you. You know, there may be times where you think, "Oh, finally a relationship," and yet it's the Lord testing you, not the Lord providing for you, right? It's the Lord disciplining you and saying, "Okay, no, there's this test that I want you to show that you love me more than this." Or it's so it's a temptation, and yet on the other hand, um, perhaps it's the Lord providing and. How do we discern those things? A job. Taking a new job. Is it going to be, is it, is it a temptation or is it the Lord? Um, Getting an education, uh, an inheritance, receiving an inheritance. We'd all be like, oh, praise God, you know, there's this windfall and God has provided. And yet there's enough in scripture to say that when, when money comes, watch out. Right? The rich are warned time and time again, right? And money um, is the root of all, the love of money, right, is the root of all kinds of evil. And so, how do we know whether it's the Lord or whether it's not the Lord in these situations? Well, we avail ourselves of the, the means that God is, has given to us to discern His will. We go to the Word. We go to prayer. We seek counsel from wise people, right? Right? We um, we apply the general principles of the word to a specific situation, right? You take the general principles. Okay, what has God said about money? Well, I better apply that in this windfall that's come to me, right? And so, whether or not whether or not you get a um, a final answer, like a, a a final answer of whether it's the Lord or whether it's not, whether it's temptation of the devil. You can at least apply the general principles of the Word of God in order to approach it in a godly manner, right? Um, we apply the Ten Commandments, right? We apply the moral law in this very uh, in every situation that comes along, and so I think that's something that we all face. It's discerning the will of the Lord, but David, David here has a quick decision to make, doesn't he? Saul is in. Saul is in the bathroom in the cave, and his men say, ha-ha, and he has to decide what to do. Um, Praise God, he only cuts the robe, but even still, in cutting the robe, he has gone too far. He has gone too far. Um, David cuts the robe, and the word here is not conscience, it's heart. It's the word that the, the Hebrew uses here. His heart bothered him, right? The heart and the conscience being um, equated by the translators of this. David cuts, cuts the robe. His heart bothered him. Tearing of the robe was, was symbolic as if David is saying the kingdom is mine. Verse 6, now he, he repents. He says to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. Twice in there. The Lord's anointed. Why does he not want to stretch out his hand against Saul? Because God raised him up. God raised him up. Why would a man think that he can bring down what God has raised up? And so David acknowledges this. This is the Lord's anointed. Samuel anointed this man to lead the people of Israel, and I cannot take it away from him. Um, He had suffered wrong, but um, he did not repay evil with evil, at least as far as killing King Saul. Remember what Scripture says, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek for that which is good for one another and for all people, right? So David is is uh, showing us that example. Now, the the next verse again another translational problem here. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. the The Hebrew here is way more way more explicit. Persuade is the wrong word. The the word persuaded it's much stronger. It means more like Tear apart. He tears into his men. For what they did to him. David tears into his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So apparently when he comes back with this piece of the robe, they want to say they want to go finish the job. And he tears into them and he says, no, absolutely not. You may not do that. Um, It seems they would have killed Saul if he had not teared into them. There, there's, I mean, this, I mean, think of the applications of this. David David is, is raw because his conscience is bothered, right? From symbolically killing Saul. David is raw from that. And that, that, um, that, Uh, wound in his conscience leads to his zeal in opposing the sin of other men. Right? That wound in his own conscience leads to zeal. He stops his men from doing what they wanted to do. And let that be a lesson to us. There is a time to tear into those who are set on sin. Right? This is Nehemiah at the end of Nehemiah. There's a zeal that tears hair out when sin is being committed, right? Second section is from verses 8 through 15. Um, David's, this is David's explanation of what happened in the cave. And think, I mean, all through this, what do we get a picture of? We get a picture of David's humility. I mean, what does he first do? Now, afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. Saul Saul has left. David comes out of the cave and calls after him. Well, that's strange, right? Saul wants to kill him. Um, His men must be uh, some distance off. But David calls after him and not just calls after him, but says, My Lord, the king. My master, the king. Right? David David is acknowledging the authority of King Saul. Now, we have to remember that Saul has already tried to kill him twice, has pursued him all about the countryside, right, chasing after him. And now here's David with an opportunity to kill him, which he passes up, though he does tear his robes, and then he says, My Lord the King. My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Okay, so... That's over the top. Not only does he say, my lord, the king, but he bows down to the ground with his face, his body down to the ground before King Saul. You, you wonder what his men are doing at that point. They're probably frothing at the mouth that David would show such weakness, right? Is this weakness by King David? I don't know one, one of a hundred men that would be able to do what David just did there. Which is humble himself and call the man who tried to kill him, the man who's afflicting Israel um, by my master, and then bow before him and then and yet it's not all it's not all easy words for King Saul either. David has hard words for him too, in what he says. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of of men saying, behold, David seeks to harm you. So he's saying, why are you coming after me? Why are you listening to these false false counselors that are telling you that I'm going to kill you? Look what I just did. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. So he He's got that. He's got whatever he's cut off, whatever he's ripped, torn off. He's got that in his hand. He shows it to Saul. Behold, this days, or now, my father, see indeed, this, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. Right? He's saying, I had the opportunity to kill you I didn't take it, even though that is what you live for right now. You want to kill me. And then he hands this whole situation, as he should, over to God. To, for God to judge between who is right and who is wrong. Right? What is he doing here? He's allowing room for the, the wrath of God. He's saying, he's saying, vengeance isn't mine, vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay and so he says, may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. Look at that pledge. He said, I'm not going to kill you. My hand is not against you. After whom, as the, the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. Says it again, I'm not going to kill you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? What's your problem? Why are you? What do I have? You just brought out three thousand men against my six hundred. You know I'm a flea. The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may He see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. So now, now here's David expressing to Saul, trying. Um, perhaps to teach him that he is wrong to take vengeance into his own hands. That it is the Lord's Lord's to give vengeance. He acknowledges, though, in verse 12, the evil of Saul. But he calls for God to take vengeance. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, repay, says the Lord. That's in Romans that we learn that. Right? The temptation for all of us to take vengeance into our own hands, just in everyday circumstances. Children, you ever take vengeance into your own hands? Somebody does something to you and you do twice as much back to them? Right? That's taking vengeance into your own hands. Rather than just stopping and saying, okay, God knows who sinned in this situation. I'll let Him repay I'll walk away as David walked away. And Saul has done far more to David than any of your siblings have ever done to you. And yet David's able just to walk away and place us in the hands of the Lord. Now I pick on you children, but adults have the same problem with vengeance. We can't get through a day without driving and taking vengeance into our own hands in a sense. Right? Um, Let alone this situation here. We must leave room for the wrath of God. If someone indeed does sin against us, as Saul sinned against David, it is not our role to take vengeance into our own hands. You know why? Because our vengeance will pale in comparison to the vengeance of the Lord. God's vengeance will be perfectly just. And there are good reasons to wait for the vengeance of the Lord, right? His vengeance will be so much more just and so much more thorough than yours would ever be, and you would be adding sin to sin all right, so verse sixteen through twenty two is saul 's response. we see the humility of David, and yet we also see the rebuke he 's calling out um, saul 's evil um, you 're pursuing me, and you have no reason you 've been evil against me, and i haven 't returned that and then David or then saul' responds... And notice his response. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? Notice that word there. My son, David. Um, We haven't seen Saul calling David my son much, have we? (laughs) We haven't seen this. Jonathan is his son, and he's afflicted Jonathan. And yet here he is acknowledging that David is his son. It's almost as if now Saul has seen the righteousness of David. And he knows, as he says in a few verses, this man will be king. And so he's saying, my son, as if to say, you are the rightful heir, right? You're the rightful heir. You are the one who will inherit the kingdom. You are my son. Um, <clears throat> is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice. And wept. Saul lifted up his voice and wept. What kind of tears are these from the apostle? I mean, not the apostle, from the king. What kind of tears are these from the king? Um, Some remorse, perhaps. He regrets his actions. Um, It's perhaps a guilty conscience being afflicted, as he sees the righteous actions of David, him doing what he cannot do. Um, it could be self pity, right? It could be that I can't, I can't ever do right. And here's David, who has the opportunity to kill me, and he does right. I mean, I can't ever do right. It could be self pity. Um, we don't know. But he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. So at least he's willing to acknowledge that he's in the wrong. He's done wrong. He is, he is afflicted David. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? The answer to that is no. Right? That's not usually what happens if the if the if you fall upon your enemy, your enemy doesn't go away safely. May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now, and so so he acknowledges this. It's a realization. Perhaps he's coming to terms with this finally. Um, what he knows to be true, he's seeing why God has replaced him with this godly man for him. He's, he's realizing what the Lord is doing. And so he's acknowledging it here. He's he's, um, he's willing to acknowledge it, even, it to, even to David, who he has been bloodthirsty against. But then what does he do? He says, Swear to me that by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from under... From my father's household. And David swore to Saul. Wise thing for David to do. In this case. Swear to Saul. Sure he's already done it. He's already swore this to Jonathan. He already made this. Jonathan asked him for the very same thing. And so it's easy for David. To now swear to Saul. That he would protect Saul's household. He's made this pledge. To Jonathan back a few years. Back a while ago. So David swore to Saul. And Saul went to his home. But David and his men. Where did they go? They didn't mess around. They went back up to the stronghold. Right? They knew that Saul would be back. They knew that they couldn't just rest easy. They didn't go to their homes. They didn't enter Jerusalem. They just went back um, to the stronghold. Uh, This is. You know, the, the, the difficulty with Saul is we see these moments of remorse. And this is the difficulty of, of when, we, when we witness to somebody and we we're convinced they're not Christian, but we see remorse, we see sadness, we see some sort of conscience. And yet, and yet, that can all be there without repentance being there. right? There can be sadness. There can be great sadness. Without repentance. We have an example of that in Judas. He regretted what he had done. Right? And yet he goes out and spills his guts. In the middle of the field. Right? We have the example in in Hebrews 12. <clears throat> we have the example in Hebrews 12 of Esau. Um, Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of... I mean, think of this in regard to Saul. Be at peace with all men. Right? See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. That's Saul. And by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For then, for you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Right, remorse, great sadness, great weeping, great um, uh, just um, uh, great um, emotion. Can be present in unregenerate people over sin. And yet it's not repentance. Because it's not done as before the Lord. It's not done for the glory of the Lord. It simply is self-referential sadness. It's self-pitying sadness. It does not rise up to a conscience before a holy God like David, right? What does David say? Against you alone have I sinned. Right. He poured out his tears when he sinned, but he knew that it was before the Lord that he had sinned. Saul. He's self-pitying. He's self-pitying. And we know this isn't repentance because of what he does in the coming chapters. He just continues to go after King David. Right? He continues to go after him. So this passage, it shows us the godliness, the Christ likeness of King David. As a man after God's own heart, he knew the commands and did them, right? He knew them and he did them when disobedience would have been, by his men, accepted and expedient, right? His disobedience in killing Saul, everybody would have rejoiced. He could have done it and had everybody on his side. Consider the last time that you were tempted to sin and you, you would have had everybody's Congratulations in that hard, hard position to be in. Right? But how wonderful it is when we have those around us who warn us when we're tempted and say, No, don't do it. And how that strengthens us. Here's David when everybody's saying, Yes, and he resists. Right? That's godliness. That's godliness. That's Jesus. That's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Pouring out his soul. And everybody would have said, Oh, Jesus, you know, you don't have to die. You don't have to die. Just, just stay with us. And yet Jesus says, Not my will, but your will be done. Right? Everybody, everybody is encouraging him the wrong way, and yet he has one thing in mind, which is the will of his Father in heaven. Think of Jesus' death. He could have called on a legion of angels. He could have um, destroyed his enemies, but he rather did the will of his Father in heaven. That's what he did. And in the end, he was highly exalted because he did the will of the Father. So we should learn from that, shouldn't we? We should learn from that. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for Jesus. We thank you that David knew Jesus and that your spirit was within him, working Christ's likeness into him. And Father, I pray that when we, when we are surrounded by yes-men who, who are counseling us to do what would be wicked, Father, that we would have a conscience that's bound by your word. Father, and not by our... I pray that we would fear you and not fear man. Father, that we would we would do what is right in your sight, rather than listen to even the multitudes who are telling us to go in an opposite direction. Father, we thank you for the repentance, the humility, the kindness that we see in King David. I pray that uh, we would learn from it and learn... Learn about the kindness and the forbearance that you have toward us through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.